Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you, God, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, we pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might receive from a very difficult text. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us understanding and clarity of mind. And Lord, we uh, commit this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Samuel was now dead, and all Israel had mourned his death and buried him in Ramah, his hometown. Saul had long since cleaned out all those who held seances with the dead. The Philistines had mustered their troops and camped at Shunem. Saul had assembled all Israel and camped at Gilboa. But then Saul saw the Philistine troops, and he shook in his boots, scared to death. Saul prayed to God, but God didn't answer, neither by dream, nor by sign, nor by prophet. So Saul ordered his officials, find me someone who can call a spirit so that I may go and seek counsel from those spirits. His servant said, there's a witch at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by putting on different clothes. Then taking two men with him, he went under cover of night to the woman and said, I want you to consult a ghost for me. Call up the person that I name. The woman said, just hold on now. You know what Saul did and how he swept the country clean of mediums. Why are you trying to trap me and get me killed? Saul swore solemnly, as God lives, you won't get in trouble for this. The woman said, so whom do you want me to bring up? Samuel, bring me Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out loudly to Saul, why did you lie to me? You're Saul. The king told her, you have nothing to fear. But what do you see? I see a spirit ascending from the underground. And what did he look like? Saul asked. An old man, ascending, robed like a priest. Saul knew it was Samuel, and he fell down, face to the ground, and worshipped. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by calling me up? Because I'm in deep trouble, said Saul. The Philistines are making war against me, and God has deserted me. He doesn't even answer me anymore, either by prophet or by dream. And so I'm calling on you to tell me what to do. Why ask me? said Samuel. God has turned away from you, and now is on the side of your neighbor. God has done exactly what he told you through me. Rip the kingdom right out of your hand and given it to your neighbor. It's because you did not obey God, refused to carry out his seething judgment on Amalek, that God does this to you, what he is doing today. Worse yet, God is turning Israel along with you over to the Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And yes, indeed, God is giving Israel's army up to the Philistines. I would say, undoubtedly, this is the most difficult story in all the Bible that I've ever preached on. Matter of fact, it's it's so difficult that I can't find anybody else that's preached on it. Uh, matter of fact, if you had asked me last week, I was going to say, you know, we're hitting the major stories as we walk through the book of First and Second Samuel. I would have told you, we're just skipping this one. We're not, we're not doing this one. We're, we're moving on. And I, I really prayed about it Sunday night. And I, I realized it was Halloween. Not that I'm doing it because it's Halloween. But it just kind of naturally fell 
at this time and uh, just really felt convicted to do it. So then it becomes the hard part. I began to, to look and to do research, and then I find out that there's very little written on it. I mean, like, I've used every resource that I've ever had uh, on this. You know what I mean? It's like most commentaries, they don't, they don't have a lot to say about it. Uh, it's so bad that Eugene Peterson, matter of fact, Eugene Peterson wrote this Bible right here that, we, that she was reading from, the message. And he's very arguably one of the better linguistic translators in the United States, a, a great theologian. He's written a commentary uh, on this text uh, on the book of First and Second Samuel. It's so bad that I called him and said... Eugene Peterson, can you tell me what's going on in this story? Because I have never heard it taught, not in Sunday school, not in Bible study. I've certainly never heard a sermon on this. Nobody's ever even remotely heard. Matter of fact, the truth of it is, if I ask you to raise your hands like I did last time, at least half of you have never even heard this story. Because we don't talk about this story. It's got a lot of theological problems in it, okay? And um, I even call a guy named Haddon Robinson, which that probably means nothing to most of you. He was a former president of Gordon-Conwell. And, and it's interesting, people have varying responses. Both of those guys and a lot of the evangelical community think what's happening here is that there's a, a demon impersonating the spirit of Samuel. Now, a lot of the patristic fathers and the ancient rabbis believed that this was really the spirit of Samuel it was called up. Either way, it's very difficult. It's a very, very difficult text. And uh, so, but I really feel led for us to talk about it. So I want you to really kind of Pay attention today and listen and go back and read this. I'm sure you'll want to read it now, uh, but go back and read this when you when you get home. And I, I really have kind of entitled this sermon when God doesn't work for you, because that's, in fact, what happens now in my hand today. I have some Ranger World Series tickets right here. And um, matter of fact, this is our missionary in residence. If you can't trust a missionary, who can you trust? Um <laughs> Greg and his credible wife here. Do you see that right there? Do you see that those are real? $150? Yeah. Those those are real right there. And um, how much do you think those are worth now? This is for tonight's game. $300,000? And these are, by the way, these are on the lower level. This is on the low level of the field. Do what? 500 Okay, depends on who's buying. Um <laughs> I promise you it's more than three or five, it's more than $500 on the lower level. Uh, but nevertheless, um, let, let me tell you a couple of things about these tickets. First of all, uh, let me tell you what I did because I'm such a brilliant pastor. Um, here's what I did. I, uh, I won the rights to buy ticket, World Series tickets. It's what I didn't actually win them. I entered one of those little contests and I won the right to buy them. Okay, so I get to, they say, okay, we'll let you pay money uh, to buy our tickets, which actually was a good deal because these are going, of course, a lot more than what's face value. So I get three different sets of tickets. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? And here's what I decide. Here's what I'll do is I'm going to sell uh, one set to pay for the other set, and then I'll have another set, and I'll make money off of them, okay? I mean, this is just going to be, this is going to be a win, win, win. You know what I mean? Uh, and so that's what I decided to do. So I put them all on StubHub. And I think, you know, I put them, I put a couple of them on there first and nothing happened. So I said, you know what, here's what I'll do. I'll put them all on there because they're in different sections. And then when the first one sells, I get an automatic notification. It'll tell me and then I'll take the, uh, the last one off. I'll take one of them off and I'll have sold it and I'll be in good shape. And that's my plan. This will be great. I won't pay anything for my tickets. And I'll actually probably have a few hundred dollars to put in my pocket. So it's a great deal, isn't it? It's the American way. So this is what I'm going to do, okay? And uh, so I do that. The problem is they all sold at the same moment. 
Like I'm in there trying to get them off. And I've got nothing. So these tickets right here, they're worth nothing. Zero. I could sell them to you and they look, they're official. Problem is, is somebody, I, I put the barcodes in the StubHub and now there are other tickets. So if you take them up there, they'll go, I'm sorry. Uh, those are no good. Those codes don't even exist. So you would have been deceived and out a lot of money. I'm sure people do that, by the way. But, uh, you know, the problem is, is I had a system and a plan to kind of manipulate the system that was given there, and I was going to make it work for me. I'm going to make this work for me, and I'm going to be a winner on all of this. I can make things work the way I want them to, but they didn't, and it made me angry. I was like mad at StubHub because they sold all my tickets, even though I put them on there. You know what I mean? And the system did not work for me. And so now I'm like the rest of you. I'm going trick-or-treating and I'm watching the game afterwards. All right, so that's what I'm doing now. And every dad can relate to that. And, and a few moms. And uh, I call it the sovereignty of God. And it doesn't mean we're always happy with the sovereignty of God. But that's, that's exactly what has happened here. Well, Saul, in a much more serious way has come to that place in his life, King Saul, whom God has said, you will no longer serve as king. Your time is up and your sons will no longer, it will no longer be in your family. Your sons will not rule. I am taking your kingdom and I'm giving another because of your consistent sin, because of your consistent disobedience and hardness of heart. And God has told him that. He's given that word. And Saul has thought in his depraved mind, if I can kill David, maybe that'll eliminate the problem. So he has been in total opposition to the will of God, seeking to kill God's anointed. And it's not happening. It's just not going to happen. So Saul is desperate. And he's a desperate sinner. And because the Bible tells us, as we read earlier, that he sought God and he heard nothing. God was silent. He decides to really take matters into his own hands. He's already been guilty of killing the priest. He's been guilty of chasing and attempting to kill David. He has been guilty of not obeying God. But now he's desperate because the Philistines, the enemy, is camped outside the, the city lines, so to speak. And they're about to come in. And he needs a word from God. And he can't get one. He doesn't have a prophet anymore. Samuel has died. And Samuel wasn't giving him a word before because Saul never obeyed what he was given. And Saul, again, is not obeying God with the word he has. But he's desperate. He's a desperate Sinner. So what does he do? He decides to go and to find a lady who's a medium who can supposedly call up the spirits of the dead. Now, the problem becomes, is this really uh, the spirit of Samuel or is this simply a false spirit? The Bible tells us in Second Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So. Uh, many scholars, probably the majority of scholars would say this is a false spirit, a false image. God may have chosen to use it. We don't know. But we know this, that Saul is in direct opposition to the will of God. Matter of fact, in verse three, as we read earlier, as Leanne read earlier, it said that Saul had already expelled all the mediums. God had already told them in Deuteronomy and Leviticus to expel those who are sorcerers and those who attempt to bring up the spirits of the dead. He said, I don't want it to be a part of you. It's it's the predominant mentality in the Canaanite religions and the pagan religions. But you are coming to the God of the universe and I don't want it to be named among you. But Saul is desperate. So what does he do? He says, I got to go find a medium. I got to go find 
someone who can call up the spirit of Samuel and tell me what to do. That's what I've got to do. Now, you know, there's some terms of, of the occult that we probably want to be aware of here. Uh, number one, this is basically called, she's a necromancer is what she is, necromancy. It are those who seek to call up the spirit of the dead. Now, the Bible tells us about this uh, in several passages, but I want to read a few passages to you and how God responds to this and how he feels about it. It says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, and do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or his daughter to the fire or practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens or engages in witchcraft or casts spells or who is a medium or a spiritist who consults the dead. And this is Deuteronomy 18, beginning with verse 9. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because these Practices are detestable to the Lord, your God, and he will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before your God. The Bible tells us in Isaiah eight nineteen, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? First Chronicles chapter 10 uh, verse 13, and Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord and because he did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium. The Bible has many more passages that we could read, uh, including Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Those who seek to make contact with the underworld, with the darkness, with the spiritual darkness, literally is what it is, the occult, the, the unknown darkness, the unknown spirits of darkness. It's very real. The Bible definitely has a lot to say about it. And it's very clear that we as Christians are not to consult or to have anything to do with it. God's made that very clear. And here is uh, Saul, who is not only the king, but supposed to be the, one of the spiritual leaders of the nation. And he's going to consult a medium. And when he gets there, what does he see? He he asks the woman to bring about uh, that spirit. And as we read earlier in the book of Isaiah, kind of a window that we see is that typically there would be some sounds or utterances, and this medium would interpret those. There would be a fire pit that would be uh, made out and um, kind of dug out. And in that fire, uh, that woman would hear certain sounds and she would interpret what they meant. But in this particular instance, when the fire has been placed and the pit is burning, she hears another voice, a voice that startles her, a voice unlike anything she's ever heard before. And in fact, it is a voice in which will echo truth. It echoes what Saul has already been told, that look, here's the deal. You're going to have this kingdom taken from you. The Lord God has already told you that. And again, I can't tell you what spirit is happening here. I don't know if God has transcended into this situation and he's speaking through this image of Samuel or if it's a demonic force under the control and under the authority of God. I don't know. Or if it's simply this demon's way of speaking to bring about discouragement to Saul, even though it's all true. Nevertheless, we know it occurs here. And the situation is this ghost 
or this in spiritual image, this apparition is there. And it's something that God has strictly forbidden uh, anyone in Israel, any follower of Yahweh to participate in. And yet it's occurring. Now, why do people do that? Why did they do it then? And why do they do it today? Well, number one, for direction. People today still go and they seek, whether it be palm readers or fortune tellers or whatever it is, so they can get direction in their life. And, and here's, the, here's the short answer, guys. What they're trying to do is say, you know, I want to seek something supernatural, but I would rather not have to go through this relationship, commitment, uh, study and whole sacrifice and get to know you, God, and pray and all that. That's a lot of effort. That's really hard. I'd rather pay twenty nine ninety five and somebody just tell me. Okay? Never mind that the person's probably somewhat probably even less educated than you, and never mind that uh this is someone that you wouldn't ask advice uh, on anything financial or do anything else, but I'm gonna go and ask them. And I'm gonna pay them some money and they're gonna tell me what to do because they're gonna conjure up a spirit that's certainly not of God, and I'm gonna ask them and I can get some direction. Or maybe I can get some comfort. They'll tell me something and it'll make me feel better. I'll hear the voice. Maybe they can tell me what my loved one was saying. Angel of light. Satan masquerades himself. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Whether it's real or not, I think 99.9% of the time it's a fraud to begin with. Or prophecy. They'll tell me what's going to happen and I'll be prepared. Prophecy. I, I can know what's happening and what's going to happen in my life. You know, the ironic thing about it is, what does the Word of God give to us? Direction, comfort, prophecy of what ultimately will happen. It's like, God, you're just, you're, you're kind of hard. You kind of require a lot getting this whole relationship with you and it, this Bible thing. I mean, that's hard. I got a credit card. I can just put it on my credit card right here. And get a word. Isn't it wild that that's the world we live in? And it kind of goes back to my one original statement that I have in life. Sin makes you stupid. You know what? And when I sin enough, I'll just do stupid things and take stupid advice. And that's certainly what Saul is doing here. He's trying to work the system of God. God's system is not working for him. God's silent. I'm not hearing from God. And this system is not working. And I'm going to circumvent the system. I'm going to circumvent God. Let's look at the text again here. Verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all of Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. And Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. It looks like Saul had did what God had asked him to. Maybe it was because of the death of Samuel he felt kind of convicted that I kind of need to do something godly. I need to be kind of obedient. He probably was touched at that funeral. And as he listened to those words and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do what I need to do here. But then the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shuman. And Saul gathered all the Israelites set up at the camp of Gilboa. And when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid and terror filled his heart and he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or the urine of prophets. The ways that God uh, usually answered, recognized that there wasn't a Bible, so to speak, at this point. There were probably some copies of the Torah. But God had not spoken to him. You know why? Because Saul was disobedient. 
because Saul was going in the opposite direction of the will of God. And so God is silent at this point. But Saul won't take that. He won't deal with his sin. He won't repent. He won't say, God, not my will, but yours. I'm going to see if I can go a different direction with this. And he said, find me a medium. Someone find me one so that I can inquire of her. There's one in Endor, they said. And so Saul disguised himself. He couldn't appear as the king because the king is the one who had issued the edict to remove all the idiom, all the mediums from the land. And so he disguises himself and puts on other clothes. And at that night, he and the two men went to the woman to console the spirit from me, he said, and bring up the one in which I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and the spirit is from the land. Why have you set this trap for my life to bring about my death? She's very aware of the edict of Saul. She's very aware of the consequences and the penalty. And then Saul makes this statement. And Saul swore to her by the Lord. Isn't that amazing? This is like someone who's having continual illicit affairs in direct uh, contra- contradiction to their marriage covenants, and they're quoting God and quoting Bibles in another instance. I mean, it's just the height of hypocrisy here. And he says, you're not going to be, you'll, there'll be no punishment to you. I, I swear it upon the name of the Lord, basically, is what he said. And the woman said, whom shall I bring for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Now, what's interesting is Samuel had already issued a statement to Saul saying, you know what? God is removing your kingdom from your family. And because of your uh, continual disobedience and hardness of heart, God is removing the kingdom from your family. But he hasn't even spoke to Samuel even before he died, and, but he's desperate. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to see if I can get him to give me a word, get him to say something to me, and I'm going to use a medium to do it. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me, you are Saul? There's something going on that she's not used to. She's probably used to these little noises and maybe utterances that are maybe real or maybe demonic, we don't know. But she's used to those little noises and then she would interpret. But at this point, there's something different that happened that she's never experienced. And all of a sudden, she... Here's a voice and she recognized this is an image like I've never seen before. This is something I've never experienced before. And she says, why, Saul? Why have you come here? Why have you lied to me? And she recognizes. And the king said, don't be afraid of what do you see? And the woman said, I see a spirit coming out of the ground. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And then Saul knew it was Samuel because of his customary robe that he had worn and described. It must be Samuel, at least in his mind. And he bowed down and he prostrated himself and his face to the ground. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, said Saul. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me and he no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. I need somebody to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? Notice how many times Samuel uses the word Lord here. 
The Lord has done what he predicted through me. And the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to the one, one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out the fierce wrath against the Amalekites. And the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both the Israels, Israelites and you to the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Wow. Hard word. A very difficult word given in this passage to Saul because of his gross disobedience. Because he willingly and knowingly goes after a medium and consults with a medium, even knowing it was strictly forbidden, even though he had punished others for doing the same thing. So why does he do that? Well, we see three points in this story. First of all, we see God's silence, that God is silent here. Saul is seeking the normative ways of seeking God and he's hearing nothing. So what does he do? He decides to do something different because he doesn't hear God. Have you ever been in that place where you don't hear God? I mean, you pray, but you don't hear him. You're, you're looking for some help or instruction and you, you don't hear him. Heaven seems silent. Why does that happen? Why is it that sometimes when I pray, I feel or sense or know nothing? Well, there are several reasons for that. There's a couple reasons for Saul right here that might be just like ours. N- number one is Saul has a serious sin issue that he's not repented of or dealt with. OK, and sometimes that's true of us. We have a sin out here and we don't really want to deal with it. We want to pretend like it's not not there and just go, but God, I need your help. And God is like, you know, it seems to me that there's a serious sexual issue over here or there's a serious addiction that I, I want you to deal with. I've been convicted you of and, and you just kind of. Run over here and ask me to help you with something else. So with Saul and sometimes with us, it's because there's sin in our life that we've been unwilling to deal with. Sometimes it's because God has spoken to us and he's given us a word and we're not obeying that. Saul had already been told, this is what's going to happen and I want you to follow through. First of all, I wanted you to go and to uh, take care of the Malachites. You didn't do that. Secondly, you know you're not supposed to offer a sacrifice that's only offered by the high priest, and you were impatient you did that. Thirdly, I, I told you that David's going to be taking over as king, and you're, you're consistently trying to kill him. You killed the priest. You, you literally murdered the priest because you thought they were helping David. I mean, I haven't heard any repentance. I haven't heard you recognize your sin at all, and I've spoken to you, and you're not willing to... Deal with that, nor are you willing to accept what I've given you, what I've commanded. And here's the deal. Guys, this happens to us. Sometimes things happen in our lives that are not what we want. They're hurtful. They are uh, awful in some situations, whether it's we lose a spouse or a child or a loved one, uh, an an, an illness that uh, has a permanent effect on us. Sometimes those things happen, and for us to say otherwise, for us to sit here and and for me to preach a health, wealth, and prosperity that if you just believe it will all go away, the truth of it is you know that some things have happened, and there's always going to be a scar there. Okay, Saul was going to have a scar from what happened. It wasn't going to be erased, and he was going to lose the kingdom, but he still had the chance of redemption. 
of saying, God, not my will, but yours. I recognize I've been wrong, but I will do whatever you ask of me. And I want you to redeem my days. Same thing is true of our pains and our difficulty. God still wants to redeem them and use them in our lives. And what He doesn't want us to do is deny them, try to hide them, pretend like it's not there, act like it should have, should have happened somewhere else, or I, I, I just, it's, it's not real. I'm not going to admit it. Sometimes we just have to say, this is bad, this is not what I wanted, this hurts, but God, I need you. Would you walk me through this valley? Would you help to redeem this situation? And I'm not going to try to manipulate the circumstances. I'm not going to try to get around. I'm not going to go somewhere else and do something that you commanded me not to do. I'm, I'm going to trust you. We see that happening with every great man of the Scripture, don't we? Of difficult times, whether it was Job, whether it's David himself, whether it's the Apostle Paul, where they have times where God is silent and they are hurting. And that's what happens sometimes. And the question is not if it will hunt, come. The question is, how will we respond? So sometimes it's silent because of our sins. Sometimes it's God is silent because we're not obeying what he's given us. And sometimes God is silent because he's trying to grow us. He's trying to wean us just like a mother weans her child to the point where they can begin to feed themselves. When we first become believers, God blesses us sometimes with these feelings and these experiences. And then we get older and we go, what happened? God, where'd you go? I don't feel you anymore. I read this passage of Scripture. I don't feel it. I sing a song. Maybe we need a new praise team because I don't feel it. And that pastor, you know, hey, I don't know. I don't feel it when he speaks. How do we? How do you feel about it when your child says, when you say, you know what, Johnny, I need you to clean your room. Can I have some candy? I need you to clean your room first. I'd like some candy. Candy first. Candy first. We call that an immature child. Uh, no, Johnny, I want you to clean your room. We'll talk about candy. 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 My mommy doesn't love me. She doesn't give me candy. That's the way we approach God sometimes. God, where's some candy? I want to rush. I need a little spiritual rush. I need some candy. Or you're not real. Or I'm not going to worship you. Or I'm not going to do this if you don't give me some candy. Matter of fact, you must not even be a real mommy because you're not giving me candy. Sometimes God wants to just mature us. He wants to grow us. When Job cried out and the heavens were silent. When David cried out and no word came. The question is not if, but when, and will we be faithful? Can God wean us of the experience, of the emotion, of the feeling, of the candy, to where we say, God, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what I experience, I still recognize you as the God of the universe, and I will worship you. He wants to grow us and mature us. So sometimes God is silent, not because of our sin. Because he wants to deepen us and grow us. And then sometimes, when we don't accept that, as we see with Saul, we come up with other solutions. I'll go this way. I'll go ask this person. I'll go do this. I'll, I'll manipulate all the circumstances. That's exactly what he did. Saul sins in order to compensate for his lack of hearing God because things are not going his way. And then that what happens a lot of times in our society, we seek to medicate it. No, nobody just starts 
starts on heroin. No one just starts on cocaine. You start trying to medicate or get the feeling, get the rush. Maybe life becomes too hard. I start to drink more and more. It's because I've decided to go a different direction. You know, it's too hard. God doing it your way. And I need something else. I need something on the outside. That's exactly what Saul was doing. The problem is there was a sentence for Saul for going this direction. The Bible says in First Chronicles 10:13, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He didn't keep the word of the Lord, and he consulted a medium for guidance. Very clear. Why did this happen to Saul? He was unfaithful. He didn't keep the word that he was given, the instruction he was given. He wasn't obedient to it. And number three, he consulted a medium. And God said, "Enough, enough." Tomorrow, you need a word from me, I'll give you the word. Tomorrow is the end. And it is not the word that he certainly ever wanted to hear. So, I'm sitting here in Flower Mound, Texas today, looking at this passage and say, so what does that mean for me? What can I learn from that? Why don't we give you some rock points, so to speak, to consider, some things to consider for today. Number one, Let's ask this question. I think we all need to ask this one. Do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Not have I joined the church, not have I uh, accepted the religion, but have I come into relationship with the person of Jesus Christ? Number two, am I waiting for the desperate moments to try to connect to God? When I really need something, then I'll call God and I'll ask Him to help me. How do you feel about the relative or the friend that you never hear from until they need something? And about every two or three years, you get this phone call. And what do you think of? You think, God, they love me. They respect me enough to ask for help. That's not what you're thinking. You're thinking, you only call me when you're in a desperate situation. That's what you're thinking. And sometimes we carry that mentality over to the Lord of the universe. Thirdly, has God already spoken to you? Has God already given you some instruction? God already given you a word? And what are you, what are you doing with the instruction He's given you? Has God already asked you to serve? Has God already said, you know what? I need you to begin to really study the Word of God. I need you to get involved in a Bible study. I need you to get involved in a small group. I need you to begin to share with your neighbor. Whatever God is asking you to do, are you being obedient with the instruction and the opportunity that He's already placed before you? Um, is there sin in my life? that I'm not dealing with, that I'm ignoring, that I'm unwilling to confess, or I just say, you know, God, I can't deal with that. Let's just pretend like this isn't here and we'll just move on. Are you willing to pray this? God, not my will, but yours. Most of the time we go, God, here's my will. I need you to bless it. God, I need you to work this plan. Here's my will. It's certainly yours. Where would those thoughts have come from? I'm sure they didn't come from me or somewhere else. I'm sure that this all came from you. And so, God, I need you to work this plan. God, why are you not working the plan? We have an agreement here. I'm going to put these tickets online and then I'm going to pull them off. I'm going to have money. I'll even help somebody. I mean, God, there are good things coming for you if you'll work the plan. StubHub, there's good things for you. And it didn't work. Now, I'm not taking responsibility for that. God, you don't work right. You ever feel that way? Not my will, God, but yours. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. You think Jesus wanted nails driven through his hands, through his feet? You think Jesus said, hey, I'll do that. That sounds good. No, but God, nevertheless, not yours, but mine. 
And lastly, be okay with the silence of God. Sometimes we will have done the things we needed to do and still we don't hear God speaking. And it may be that He's simply trying to grow us. He's trying to mature us. That He loves us enough to say, I don't want you to be in elementary school anymore. I'm ready for you to go to junior high, maybe even high school. Heaven forbid you'll want to go to college. We'll have that talk at another time. But I'm ready for you to have a deeper and richer faith than you had 10 years ago. And if you continue down the path that you're on right now, guess what? You'll, guess where you'll be 10 years from now? Just sitting in church is probably not going to change your life. I know that's not a good advertisement. But I'm telling you this. It's what we apply. It's what we're willing to take and say, God, let it be your will, not my will. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a prayer that most everyone is familiar with. And uh, it's been changed just a little bit uh, in the for AA. But it's a, nevertheless, let me read to you the original prayer that Reinhold Niebuhr wrote. And I think it's a good statement, a good prayer for us today as we deal with the subject of not recognizing that God doesn't always work our way, but that God's always at work. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference through the Lord Jesus Christ. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting the hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as He did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that He will make all things right if I surrender to His will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. So here's the question. Are you worshiping Him or are you working Him? Are you trying to work God to get what you want, to get Him to do what you need Him to do? Or are you saying, God, not my will but Yours. I worship You. I've used this illustration before, but I want to conclude with it because I think it's a great picture of what happens sometimes with us. Uh, I mentioned to you before I was raised in the woods of Louisiana and back in the swamps, and one of the things I used to like to do was take the horse out and go get lost. Okay, well, one day I did a great job with this. I was probably about 10 or 11 years old. I got way out there, got lost again. I got lost a lot. Uh, I got lost, and um, I, I had an idea on how to get back, and I was on this old horse named Frank, and Frank at the time was probably about 12 or 13 years old, was born literally right there in those fields and those swamps, and he knew those woods very, very well. And I'm a 9, 10, 11-year-old boy, and I decide, okay, it's time to get back. And I, I think, okay, there's the sun. I knew enough to know where the sun was saying, home is back this way. And so I'm trying to get the horse to go that way, but he's wanting to go a different direction. He's kind of wanting to alter the path here, and he keeps wanting to take me through briars and through um, creek beds and areas that I didn't want to go. I want there's a clearing over here. Look, there's a trail. Let's go over here. And so I'm I'm trying to get him to go that way. And and soon he just he allows me to go that way. And and after a while I just kind of give up. And um, we get I get home hours later. Same conversation. I have my dad sometimes. Where you been? I was lost. I know I don't. I'm not supposed to lie to you anymore. I I got lost, Dad. He goes, Well, son, why didn't you just let Frank have the reins. Why didn't you know Frank was born in those woods? He knows those woods. That's where he lives. 
why didn't you just let him? He'll always come on back home. He'll come to where he knows he's going to get fed. I said, well, Dad, I tried that. I, I let go of the reins a couple times, and he'd try to take me through a briar bush. Or he'd try to take me through this creek bed. Or he'd try to take me th- uh, up this hill or through this big, big thicket of trees. And I, I didn't want to go that way. He goes, son, that was the way home. You didn't want to go. He was headed that direction because that was the way home. You wanted to go on the easy path. But the easy path didn't lead home. That was the problem. You should have just trusted the horse. He knew the place. Hey, sometimes we have come to that place where we recognize, you know what, I just got to trust God here. I'm going to do everything I honestly and ethically can, but I'm going to trust Him. And I'm going to quit trying to find an easy path. To find an, a medium or find somebody who will tell me what, the, the, what, I, what I want to hear. I'm going to trust Him. Are you working God? Are you worshiping Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this time together today. and Thank You, Lord, that You not only hear our prayers, You see our lives. You see what we live. You feel what we feel. You, Lord, understand what we will experience before it happens. You know our name. And You know our future. I pray, God, that we would learn to trust You. That we would learn that part of this growth process is trusting you when we don't feel like it, when we don't understand, when it hurts and when it's difficult. Trusting you when we can't see how you will make a way where there is no way. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would not try to manipulate you and that we would not try things that we know go contrary to the will of God in order to fix our situation or to bring instant relief. Lord, this morning we want to trust you and not work for you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.